Welcome to Repro's Fight Back, a podcast on all things repro. I'm your host, Jenny Wetter, and each episode I will be taking you to the front lines of the escalating fight over our sexual and reproductive health and rights at home and abroad. Each episode, I will be speaking with leaders who are fighting to protect our reproductive health and rights to ensure that no one's reproductive health depends on where they live. It's time for Repros to fight back. Welcome to Repros Fight Back. Today's episode should be a fun one. Um, Being in Washington, D.C., I'm lucky that I get to take advantage of a lot of amazing organizations that bring in advocates from around the world to talk about sexual reproductive health and rights issues either on the Hill or for special events. Today, I am extra lucky because the Center for Health and Gender Equity, or CHANGE, brought in several advocates from Africa, and I am so lucky to get to talk to three of them today. First, we have Tandy Msukuma from Malawi. Hi, Tandy. Thank you for being here. Hi. Thank you for having me. Next, we have Dr. Lillian Benjamin Mwaikosi from Tanzania. Very pleased to be here. And then, last but absolutely not least, we have Hilda Zenda from Zimbabwe. Hi, everyone. Hilda Zenda here. So since we are lucky to have three different people, so that's three new voices for our listeners to get used to, why don't each of you take a minute and introduce yourselves? Tell us a little bit about yourselves and your work, um, and that way listeners can not only learn about you, but they can learn who's talking when. Hailing from the beautiful land of the United Republic of Tanzania, my beautiful name is Lillian Benjamin Wakiosi. I am a medical doctor, a very proud young woman, and a community advocate. I'm an AVAC Fellow 2018, hosted by Tanzania Youth Alliance. I've been doing a lot of advocacy around combination HIV prevention for adolescent girls and young women, specifically focusing on access to pre-exposure prophylaxis and HIV self-tests for this age group, 15 to 24. Hello, my name is Tandim Suguma. I'm from Malawi. Um, I work with a TB organization that works in the communities. I'm actually a human scientist. Um, apart from that, I'm also um, an advocate, advocate for young girls and adolescent women um, concerning issues concerning um, reproductive health, HIV and AIDS, all those cross-cutting issues really. So I think um, my recent advocacy work was coming up with um, community guideline on what we actually want in the Contribution Plan 2019, the one that um, PEPFAR comes up with. Hi, everyone. I'm Hilda Zenda, and I'm from Zimbabwe. Uh, I work for an organization that's known as Pangea Zimbabwe AIDS Trust. And uh, one of our key programs is working with key populations of which adolescent girls and young women are part of, uh, just creating safe spaces uh, that are youth-friendly to our young women to be able to access HIV prevention treatment and care um, services. This includes HIV testing, this includes the the rollout of PrEP, as well as uh, just providing life skills to young women uh, and girls in the community. So one of the things that I think you all seem to be very much experts in is the importance of comprehensive sexual and reproductive health services, particularly when it comes to HIV prevention. So do you want to talk a little bit about the importance of that and what's going on in your country? Um, I think one of the importance of um, comprehensive HIV prevention methods, I think that we've seen from the experiences that we've seen um, in our country, 
in our countries is that uh, young, when it comes to HIV prevention, it's not, uh, there isn't only one solution or one way in which you can do things. Uh, We've seen that it works better when it's coming as a package uh, because then the package will be able to address the different barriers that hinder access uh, to sexual reproductive health uh, health services as well as HIV prevention methods. So the idea of comprehensive and a comprehensive approach uh, allows for all those barriers to be addressed and uh, at the end of the day it allows for our goal which is accessing, um, helping our young women to be able to access the primary service to be able to actually access it. For sure. Lillian, you talked about that you worked around youth. Do you want to maybe talk about the importance of youth in that? So it's necessary to include youth. For instance, um, okay, the situation is a is similar to Zimbabwe in Tanzania. And um, for me, as a young person myself, I look at this package. I mean, it's not just about the package, but what's included in the package. And one thing I'll, I, I've noticed that is missing at the moment, we have interventions, yes, but then um, still the, 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 the rest of new HIV infections among young people is still very high. And that kind of communicates that maybe the current um, interventions do not fully speak to our needs. So I look at this as the ability to have more options, expanding options and choices young people can look into for prevention. I actually agree with um, Tanzania and Zimbabwe because um, we really can talk about comprehensive sexual reproductive health rights without cutting into the HIV prevention issues. Um, So currently in Malawi, we have very limited um, HIV prevention methods. Um, We have the condoms, which I think, you know, some people might actually be allergic to latex. And we have um, the PMTCT, which is prevention mother-to-child transmission, which I feel like it's a little too late for that because you have um, a mother who's already pregnant and then um, she already has HIV and then you're just trying to prevent the child, but we didn't really, we have to, to an extent felt the mother, you know? And then we have things like voluntary male circumcision. And um, currently we have PrEP, a PrEP policy, but we still haven't had that roll out. And we have a lot of young girls and um, adolescent girls and young women in the communities that are actually ready to start using PrEP and they really want to, to have it up and running. But then for some odd reason, you know, it's dragging and then it's kind of like minimizing the momentum or something like that. And maybe to add on, I think it really matters how young people are engaged and involved throughout the processes towards having all these services. Perhaps the reason to why the uptake of services by young people is not as good or, I mean, yeah, it's not as good because maybe we were not involved in the planning processes and we have products that are introduced, HIV prevention products. Was there any concerns of young people prior to producing such products. We want to be consulted from the very beginning, not bringing up the product, and then that's when you start asking, do you f- feel like you're going to use this? Or are you going to, is this pro- uh, product going to help you also? But also the messaging around um, these products, for example, you have um, family, okay, contraceptives? Contraceptives, yes, which are viewed as family planning methods. Right. And then... Um, you have you have the youth that think okay fine contraceptives are for people in marriages and you know married women with let's say five kids 
but you could be 19 and you could still be using contraceptives because you know that's good sexual health so it's all these all these issues that just you know yeah and i think it's one of those things particularly with the family planning like we are so used to saying that and you're right like young people that is not what they're thinking about they're thinking about not getting pregnant they're not necessarily thinking about planning their family so making sure that we're using a language that's accessible to young people and the language that they would use themselves to make sure that the services are friendly but that you're bringing them in to access the services to begin with i totally agree with you i think um well another thing that's very important is having our young women actually leading these programs because in many many of the cases we do not have young women who are leading these programs and i mean if it's for young women then it should be led by young women Nothing for us without us. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and I think another thing you often hear, and I'm sure you have seen this um, in your countries as well, is there's the talk of wanting to make sure that there's more access to services for young people, but they're not, when they go to see the provider, maybe the provider is not, maybe shames them or they don't feel welcome to go see them to talk about their full needs. And so the problem of, you know, once you bring them in, they need to be also be in an environment that is friendly to youth. I agree. And I think it all comes for, from the roots that we were raised from. We come from very um, sort of conservative societies, and we are progressing somehow, but then you can't just change everybody all at once. It takes time, I'm thinking. So um, remember, if you go to school, the person who is teaching you, giving you the knowledge is... Um, an adult, but at the same time, they are parents who can talk, for instance, to their kids back home about certain things, sexual issues, I would say. The same applies to healthcare providers. If my mom, for instance, can talk to me openly about certain things, I like to believe they'll wear the same sort of, you know, bias when they're attending to a younger person in the clinic as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think we're seeing more and more of that amongst young women where, I mean, I think even just among us to think, if you think of your first uh, sexual encounter, uh, it's not that you were, it was something that you had been told about or you knew exactly what to expect, but you, it's, it's information that you hear from outside of, you know, um, the, the walls of what you would call home. Um, and I think that's one of the key barriers that we're having, I think, within our societies is that we do not, ha- I mean, within the within our homes where our young women are growing up, they don't have that safe space and they're not learning these things from home. They learn everything else from home, going to school, focusing on school, doing well. But the one key thing that, they, you know, that's not being instilled in them is uh, about how re- life is like out there and with regards particularly to um you know their sexuality so yeah i think that's also one of the barriers that we're having within our societies that our young women we get to learn about all these things outside of our homes and yet everything else we're learning from home what about access to comprehensive sex education in your countries (laughs) i mean i can start i mean i grew up in rural wisconsin and i went to a catholic school so my version of Sex education was the, if you've seen the movie Mean Girls, like, you're going to have sex and you're going to die. Like, it was was not by any means comprehensive and helpful later in life. Um, I think it's it's, it's the same because we have what we call life skills. 
Ah, yes. And yes, yeah, so I had valuing your sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> so you know the all these um, little this 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 and that, but never really the big things. You know they never really dig deep into the you know the sexuality mm-hmm. component. So you have um, older men and older women teaching you about okay. So this is what happens: people, people have sex, kids just don't pop up. Um, people have sex, but usually married people have sex. And you can't really have um, sex outside marriage because it's a taboo. So, you know, you're all going to burn and die if you're like, you know, (laughs) that sounds familiar. Exactly. So it's it doesn't really um, give you opportunities to ask more questions or talk about what you're going through because it's more like I might die or they might tell my mom because, you know, it's a very these are very small communities and everybody knows everybody and people are just talking so you don't seem like that kid, like, oh, so you're that terrible kid, huh? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, usually it's never really that comprehensive. The situation is similar in Tanzania. We do have an element of comprehensive uh, sexual education in schools, certain levels of school, actually. And like Tandy mentioned, that you, you're given uh, the knowledge in brackets, like you are not told everything, and you can't really ask everything because of the age gap that is is there but then as uh, um at the same time you can't really ask certain questions because of the shaming around sexual education from your colleagues in class mm-hmm. as well and remember this same teacher is a parent back home again so if my parents back home cannot give me certain informations because they are expecting my teacher to do that it is the role of my teacher but then he is a parent, or she is a parent as well. So there's that way of wearing that character and just go mm-hmm. all parents on us. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very similar in Zimbabwe too. Uh, we do have a program that's being run in uh, tertiary institutions. But I think, yeah, I mean, like Lillian said from Tanzania, one of the challenges we have is the people who are presenting this information and knowledge to our young women. Um, they are not necessarily youth-friendly um, people, and they are much older. So if a young person is actually listening to this much older person, it's more like you're listening to your mom and dad. And already, if it's so difficult um, having your mom and dad you know, communicate about such issues, the chances of you then listening and it's your lecturer who's um, giving you this information a very information is very slim, you know, which creates the the barrier. And I think it also doesn't open up for our young women to be able to engage and ask questions that they may specifically have uh, regarding their sexual health. And considering we're in this digital era, do parents really want us to learn everything from the internet? This is a good question to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you guys are going to get the young people are going to get the information somewhere. Yes, wrong information sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most of the time. Um, so you you talked about the importance of having youth involved in services. Do you see some of the peer-to-peer education happening in an organized manner around sex education and services as well? There is. It's, it's been a thing of late using peer, peers to reach out to peers. But then I don't think it's something that is national-wide okay. yet. And, yeah, I think we're getting there. Um, I think it's similar with Tanzania in Malawi. We have we have some programs. We have some programs that utilize... Um, peer-to-peer mentorship or, you know, we have what they call the Girl Guides. 
So they go around and, you know, convey messages on sexual protective health, HIV, all those things. But then we don't really have much of it, you know? It's there, but, like, at a very minimal scale of some sort. Yeah, similar to Zimbabwe, we have what we call CATS. Uh, and basically, yes, it's also young women who engage with other young women uh, on these particular issues. But I think what's also interesting, just touching on uh, what my fellow countrywoman Lillian has mentioned from Tanzania, is just the aspect of um, trying to see how we can not completely do away with our a culture as a country because when we look back uh, when i look at look back like in our culture in zimbabwe i mean the, the the specific people who used to tell us about this information would be our aunts and i think um in terms of uh, in terms of programming i think we we shouldn't necessarily do away completely with um, that channel of messaging but maybe try to see how we can start incorporating the cultural aspect and um, training, maybe coming up with a program where we're actually calling upon, uh, we call them vanatete, and getting them, um, actually training them on how to communicate this information and what's really changed. Because, I mean, to them, I'm, I'm, to them, I'm sure the information they got about, you know, about, uh, about sex is different from what it is like today. So I think maybe coming up with programs that can incorporate the cultural aspect of our country, because I, I guess if we do that, then it allows for a lot of people to be a bit more accepting of the idea of, you know, what sex means, you know, in our days, and as well as the idea of just having um, someone talk to our, our young women and girls about sex. Um, actually... My friend here just reminded me of what we have in Malawi. It's what we call um, the mother groups. So these are women that um, talk to young mothers, you know. Because um, I think before we, we had the law of bringing girls back to school, you actually used to get expelled and, you know, you'd be shunned from school and you'd get pregnant. But um, after the bring, bring girls back to school campaign and everything, we actually have mother groups who go to young mothers, you know, they mentor them, talk to them. And actually, in other instances, they actually look after their babies whilst these women go back to school. So I think it's, we could we could have that same approach, but with um, sex education, where we have older women talking to girls about what to, yes, just sexual, comprehensive sexual education. I'm actually learning something from my colleagues right now. So currently in Tanzania, once a secondary school girl gets pregnant, they ex they are exp uh, expelled from school and they cannot join public schools ever again. So I don't know, maybe maybe that model and the movement of bringing girls back to school would really work in my setting as well. So I know one of the things you were in D.C. for was to talk about how U.S. policy is affecting um, the lives of women in your country. Do you want to talk a little bit about that right now? As a Malawian, I would like to say the Malawian youth are actually very grateful with the funding we receive from the American people. We have um, the, the PIP for funding, mm -hmm. and then within the PIP for funding, we have what we call the DREAMS program, which is Determined, Resilient, Empowered, AIDS-Free, Mentored, and Safe, you know, yeah, DREAMS program, where it's, um, it's like a comprehensive package that is given to young girls, uh, young <laughs> adolescent girls and young women, yes. So um, it's about economic empowerment, um, sexual reproductive health services. It has all these 
Um, they understand that when if you want to empower a girl, there are a lot of cross-cutting issues that, that surround her. So for you to be able to empower her and um, give her the right materials and everything, you have to like get into a little this and that, some education, some maybe some business, you know, some health information and all that. But currently, we only have that in like two districts. And I think they're adding a third one. But Malawi has like 28 districts. Those are like, so even half of what we actually have. And I think it would really be helpful. And I think a lot of women would really like to utilize this um this program because it's really working. Oh, that's good. Yes, for this for this um districts, it's really helping. You have a lot of um women retained on um ART, and you have all these all these you know good things coming out of it. And I think the other adolescent girls and young women across Malawi would really utilize this service. The the situation is similar in Tanzania, but a little bit of a different context. So most of our HIV prevention care and treatment um, programs are run by the support of PEPFAR, and the country has been making really incredible strides to end the epidemic. We see the progress, and we appreciate it. And the most recent excitement for me was introduction of PrEP in Tanzania, pre-exposure prophylaxis. This is a pill that um, once taken daily can prevent a person from contracting HIV. It reduces the risk of getting HIV infection. And currently we are not there yet, but we do have this demonstration study, more of like an implementation science that is targeting key and vulnerable populations, and I'm very glad to say young women are reached out. It, um, adolescent girls and young women are inclusive in the KVP group. Okay, we are getting there, but then there are still some challenges um, around the use of this oral pill. Adherence remains an issue, and we still have like high rates of dropout from like the rollout of using PrEP. This speaks loud to me. In, in It sends a message to me that Perhaps we need more options. And this time around, if the pill is not um, as it doesn't cover the demands of young people, maybe we should look into investing more in the injectables or um, microbicides, things that people can use without maybe swallowing them, but then use them topically. I mean, and they should be more of user controlled. So we need variety of options to cater for the needs of young women and young people and the whole population generally uh, for HIV infection and, and the epidemic. Options are always better, so you can find what works best for you and the one you can adhere to. And you can always try different options to know what works best for you. Yeah. One size clearly doesn't fit, fit all. all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you guys have a message that you would like to send to the U.S. government on behalf of the youth of your country? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think first and foremost, we'd just like to thank the U.S. government for their continuous efforts towards trying to end this epidemic in our countries. I would also just like to give thanks to Change for giving us this opportunity, as well as yourself. <laughs> uh, Repros, thank you for that. Uh, but I think my message uh, would be that uh, we just want to let everybody know that uh, we really do 
appreciate the funds that we're getting and we're utilizing them as best we can, uh, specifically looking at HIV prevention programs for adolescent girls and young women. Looking at the DREAMS program, um, we, we, we have seen that it works and it's working very well for us. Our only cry is that uh, it continues and um, we're able to then come get to a point where our countries are reaching a sustainable point where they're actually able to run these programs on their own with or without uh, U.S. funding. Okay, well, for me, as a young woman, and I believe everyone out there is somehow, somewhere affected by the epidemic HIV. So I'm coming from a setting where uh, young women remain highly vulnerable to new HIV infections, and the, the, the rates are actually very high as compared to most other populations and age group. 15 to 24 are the most highly affected. This could happen to anyone. It could be me. It could be someone else out there. It could be a sister or anybody else. And this is why I'm deeply, really concerned um, with the issue of expanding options. So my call to the U.S. government is to look into expanding HIV prevention options and all sorts of options, both uh, both systemic and non-systemic and user-controlled. And that way, um, I look into options in the, in, the, in the aspect of expanding research, information, and access to information for, uh, for young women, expanding interventions themselves, and last but most import- importantly, the uptake of these services by young women. So they, they should be easy and accessible way to get to these services to end the epidemic. So we've talked a lot about girls and women, which obviously we're super important. But I think one thing we haven't really talked about is uh, boys and young men. Do you guys have projects or um, just want to talk a little bit about the importance of making sure that we're integrating boys and men into these programs as well? I think um, we currently have a limited number of programs that are specifically for boys and men in our countries. And I think one of our cries right now is as much as Dreams is working, would love to see the incorporation of programs similar to what Dreams is like, but specifically focused on young boys and men. Um, what we understand is that if we're empowering this young woman and she still has to go out uh, into into society and the same person that she's going to be dating is a young man or, or, or a boy, and if this young man or boy is disempowered, it makes it very difficult for this young woman to be able to practice her empowerment or to be able to have control of her empowerment. And I think if we're really looking at a, if we're really going to be investing in lives and investing in, um, in these uh, programs for adolescent and girls and young women and empowering them, we need to be looking at a sustainable way of doing that. And the only sustainable way we can do that is by ensuring that the environment around them is also growing with them. And that will need for young boys and men to be included in these programs and also be empowered. Um, I think on the on the same note, it would also be important to incorporate our religious leaders and our um, community leaders, you know, because these are what we consider our gatekeepers, you know. When the girls are empowered, wherever they are, they have to, have to, have to go back to their communities, and then they find their leaders there, their religious leaders there. So empowered, you go to church, but there's, there's all this, you know, and then you sort of kind of feel like, your people are letting you down in a sense. So I think if we reached out to the leaders and the yeah, the community leaders, the religious leaders and just empowered them also 
for them to be able to actually prepare their congregations on, you know, these upcoming empowered girls that were um, modeling, I think would really be important for um, sustainability of these many projects that we're actually embarking on. And, and I highly second everything my colleagues have said. One important factor that I would add in would be um, I look at this current generation as the game changer. We are the ones that are going to change so many things. And when we're thinking of how to involve boys and men into these movements to end the epidemic, it's really necessary to think about the next generation of young boys and girls. Well, great. Um, I think this was a great conversation. It was great to learn more about the work that's being done in your countries and um, the work that still needs to be done. So big thank you, Tandy and Hilda and Asante Lillian. Karibu. <laughs> Great. Thanks for being here. Thanks Thank for you. having us. For more information, including show notes from this episode and previous episodes, please visit our website at reprosfightback.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at reprosfightback. If you like our show, please help others find it by sharing it with your friends and subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on iTunes. Thanks for listening.